Hi, I'm Tyra G, your host for Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yes, you. Fearsome and generous, humble and honest, in pursuit of new possibilities and purchase purpose. Each week we meet at this table for one hour to experience, educate, encourage, and empower one another through our lessons learned and our joys. You know, we share topics that tradition tells us there's some things that we just don't talk about, but not here. Here at this table, we live beyond judgment and all of the wreckage. We, we share some aha moments, and there's some stories that have been left in our pockets for far too long. Every week, we start right where we are. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. There is one requirement, though. You must come dressed in your authentic inner awesome. And you must believe that impossible is merely a word. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we are webcast nationally, locally, and internationally at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. And yes, I got the short end of the deal. I know it's date night, but don't be worried. You can catch us wherever you, ha- wherever you listen to your podcast. Just key in, Frankly Speaking, with Tyra G. And for those of you who love to send me those emails, keep them coming. Anybody want to join? It's Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. Hey, thank you so much for listening in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our theme song, for Frankly Speaking, and most importantly for naming it, I'm listening This quarter, our theme has been reflect, restore, reposition. Each one of these processes separately or engaged in as an intentional journey are a part of becoming who we are meant to be. Now the trigger to begin can be external or internal. The most critical success factor is the ability to separate what happens to us our circumstances from who we are. Our conversation today is about what we need to sustain us, to grow us, and to facilitate successfully the experiences while we are becoming, while we are repositioning. Reality check, we cannot do it alone. Today we're going to create our thumbs our common thought space for our time together with another quote from author and life coach Miss Iana Vansan in her book Until Today and I quote what happens when you bring light into darkness at night the ocean can be a huge dark place 
when riding the seas, you can never know for sure if the water will be calm or turbulent. You never know if you will drift off course or run aground. That's why they're lighthouses. When ships lose their way, they are guided by the lighthouse. When there is trouble or danger at the sea, you can seek refuge by the lighthouse. During a storm, the lighthouse will always guide the ship safely to shore. Best of all, there is always someone in the lighthouse waiting. Be that someone. Be a lighthouse. Let your life be a shining symbol for others. Let everything you do be of service to someone. Stand tall in the knowledge of who you are. Stand proudly during the tough times. Be aware that who you are and what you must offer can be a beacon to someone's lost soul. Be a lighthouse keeper. Be on the lookout for lost souls. Be alert to those who may be in need and have nowhere to go or no way to get there. Be a lighthouse to a child. Guide a child, protect a child. You don't have to say much. Just let the child know you're there should the need arise. Be a lighthouse to an elder, someone who's traveled the sea of life, but now needs a bit of warmth and comfort, perhaps a cup of tea and some interesting conversation. Be a lighthouse to a young man or woman who has lost their footing or may be losing their direction in life. Remember, no matter what condition, a wind-blown sailor reaches the lighthouse and the keeper is always welcoming. The lighthouse keeper always has something on hand or knows what to do to get you up sailing again. End quote. In reality, a lighthouse shows up as a person or people or an organization. You know the ones. The ones who especially encourage you to keep on keeping on when you've decided to stop. Who, who give when you couldn't ask. Who drive the track of your tears. And who said, yes, yes, you can. They have magical timing. Some stay for a season, or some stay for many seasons. Some live in the surprising, encouraging comment that you'll never forget. They leave tattoos on your heart, and sometimes that memory of these special people is like a sleepover or a do-over, and they become there as the impact on your life that made a difference. We have a super wonderful spokesperson for the lighthouse that we're going to talk about today. Welcome, Brandon Cosby, to Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Now, Brandon knows I always ask my guests to assume the persona of a book in the human library so that they can share the kind of information that makes us as listeners see them, see them in, their, in our minds, to share information to help our listeners feel like we understand your passion and how you arrived in this space. So, Mr. Brand, it's your show now. Thank you, Tyra. It's a pleasure being here. 
Uh, I'd just like to share that I work for a community nonprofit, and we work with individuals and families involved with the criminal justice system. But the bigger question is, why? Yes. Why that work? Yes. Um, I originally wanted to be a police officer. That was my goal. I was studying criminal justice. Um, I respected law enforcement. I valued their sacrifice. It was a noble calling that I wanted to do. As a part of that process, I went on several ride-alongs with local police departments to see what the daily experience was like. Mm -hmm. I learned a couple things. It seems silly now, in, in retrospect, thinking back on it, I probably should have known these things, but two things I learned. One, not everybody had the same respect for police officers that I did. Mm. And that changed my, my view. Mm -hmm. We went on a ride-along one evening. I was with an officer, and we pulled up with another officer to what amounted to a high school party. Okay. As we're walking up the driveway, this gentleman comes out and says to the officer, more rudely than I would have expected, hey, you got to move your car so I can go somewhere. The officer, I thought, handled it very professionally, said, sir, we have a couple things to do. We'll move our car in just a moment. Mm -hmm. I thought that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. The person put up both fists and said, you're going to move your car. We're going around. I got two flashlights in my arms. The officers tackled him, took him to the ground, handcuffed him, put him in the back of, back of the police car. And I thought to myself, I wouldn't say that to anyone, certainly not a police officer. What, what is going on? Mm -hmm. So I had experiences like that. And at some point, another realization came to me, and I knew that I'd be issued a firearm. Mm. Long before some of the information that's in the news today, mm -hmm. I just started thinking, there are people out there willing to use a firearm on me and I'm probably unwilling to use it on them. Interesting. I didn't like that equation very much. That, that didn't add up well in my, in my mind. So I finished my studies, but I bounced around and did a variety of other things mm -hmm. until I found OAR. It was interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, this is an opportunity where I can work directly with people. I can provide some real help. I can do some things that, that contribute to community safety, and I can make a real difference in people's lives. I said, this is really what I wanted to do as a police officer, but in a very, very different way. No Working, gun. No gun. No <laughs> firearm. It yeah. made a difference. No foul. I'm, I'm not anti-firearm. I just didn't want to make a deliberate decision where I might have to come face-to-face -to, -face to use that firearm against somebody else. I understand. That didn't make sense to me. I didn't want to do that. Now, for just I'm going to put a comma there. For our listening audience, can you tell us what the letters OAR mean? Absolutely. OAR officially stands for Opportunities, Alternatives, and Resources. All right. That's a lot, so OAR is easier, but that does paint a picture for what we are and who we are and what we do. Okay. And for a specific population? Very specific population. Adults involved in the criminal justice system. Okay. Yes. All right. So I, I've had the opportunity for 20 years to work with OAR. Um. It, it's a job like no other. I've had experiences that have forced me to challenge my thoughts, my ideas, my beliefs in ways that I would have never been able to do if I was an accountant or a plumber or whatever else is, is out there. Uh, as an example, I remember we had a volunteer move and, and all of a sudden couldn't run a parenting class. And this is many, many years ago when I had small children. I said, well, I'll step in and run the class. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what I was doing. But I was forced in that moment to start sharing with these gentlemen ideas about 
punishment and discipline and all of these things, and it shaped my own views as a father. Mm-hmm. Um, I have run batter intervention programs with individuals uh, charged with domestic assault. That's forced me to examine my own relationships, my own view of, of definitions of what it means to be a man, what a relationship is, what love looks like, all these things that are shaped by our experiences and we often never question. Mm-hmm. And it's allowed me to question those things and just have an enrichment of experience that I did not expect. Uh, the real beauty of this though is that I have for 20 years as I've said witnessed individuals at their lowest moment in life while incarcerated mm-hmm. and witnessed them attempt to move forward and all of the successes and failures the mm-hmm. triumphs and challenges that come with that mm-hmm. I've been a part of that and that's been truly an honor to be a part of other people's life stories in those moments mm-hmm. where they're looking to pick themselves up and rebuild their lives. I think I heard you say something that I guess I'm looking behind, beyond your words, uh, that by helping others, you grew. Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, I often say when I'm, I'm depressed or whatever, I try my best to intentionally reach out and help someone else. Because it's suddenly, meaningful. Yeah. yeah. And I can, I can really minimize what was going on with me. And I, I don't. I think there's a spiritual equation to that as we give out that energy, you yeah. know, the positivity. Um, let me ask you this: I hadn't planned. I hadn't thought of this till I, you said twenty years. Twenty years. What's changed for you in twenty years? Let's go down that road. Oh, maybe a little less idealistic. Okay. Um, recognizing that. I I thought I had all the answers. Like, oh, I can help people, and and. Uh-huh. What I, in 20 years, what, what really has settled in is that I can set the table, but others have to eat. They have to help themselves. Okay. And, and I've, I've learned through this work that, that I can set the table well. I can offer some opportunities. I can mm-hmm. challenge in a way that pushes people but doesn't push them over. When they need support, run behind them and hold them up. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to do that. But I realize that ultimately, no matter how well I do that, it really is dependent upon that person. And, and that took a while to understand. I think um, it's probably human nature. When you see something is good, you want to not only expose someone, say your child, to it, you have a tendency to maybe impose. Right. And uh, I think when you're working with a cohort that may be uh, coming to you with a different set of needs, Sometimes, I'll, like you said, I can set the table, yeah. but I can only expose what's there for them. They have to make the decision. Right. And sometimes that decision is circular. I want to, I want to for our audience, um, just do some operational definitions. Okay. All right. So you said criminal justice system. Well, a lot of us, when we think of that, we think of prison. It's a piece uh, of it. Exactly. And uh, we think of jail and may use that interchangeably. But that's not really. Well, they're the very, very, very different. And yes. I'm thinking maybe we ought to just separate those and then look at what we are and where it, the space it lives in. Perfect. Okay. The, the easiest way I can do this is just by example. Okay. Our jails are local facilities, local institutions. Mm-hmm. Anyone who is arrested goes to their local jail. Mm-hmm. Whether it's double homicide or simple possession, if you're arrested, that's where you go. Mm-hmm. You essentially stay there 
through your trial process. Mm -hmm. It's possible you bond out. You haven't been found guilty of anything yet, so you might bond out and come back for trial. But if you are found guilty of a misdemeanor offense, Mm -hmm. you will serve that misdemeanor in your local jail. Typically means a year or less. If you are found guilty of a felony offense, you will serve that sentence in the state prison or potentially a federal prison, but Mm -hmm. a prison of some kind. Mm -hmm. So it is important to see the difference between jails and prisons. The organization I work for is primarily a jail-based program. We work here locally in Fairfax, Loudoun, and Prince William County. We have staff and volunteers going in and out of those jails on a daily basis, running classes, release preparation, helping individuals, uh, getting them hopefully more prepared to be successful on the outside than when they came in. So um, you have staff. I, I want to go back to use the term bond out. Okay. And again, for people that uh, may I'm not familiar. be walking. Yes, okay. yes. Can we talk about what that means? So essentially, if you are arrested in your local jail, you haven't been found guilty of anything yet. You've mm-hmm. just been charged. Okay. So as a community, we don't necessarily want to hold people in our local jails that aren't guilty of anything. You may find out in a couple of months that you're not guilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, So there are opportunities to post a bond, which simply means I'm going to put this money down that says I will come back to court when it's time. Mm -hmm. And they let you out, and you can come back to court and go through your trial process, and maybe you're convicted or maybe you are found not guilty. Now, this is not available to an accused murderer? Often not, (laughs) yes. And it's not just that. But if I have no stable residence, if I have no stable employment, if I'm a flight, there are lots of reasons not to give somebody a bond because they may not come back for court. Exactly. There's also the potential risk to the community that's taken into consideration. Okay, and and then the investment of money is one way to try and ensure. Correct. That that. And sometimes you can bond out on your own recognizance, which means you have a job, you have a family, you have a home, you've been a part of our community for 20 years. We don't think you're going to go anywhere. Just come back to court in two months. You just made a mistake. You just made a mistake. You broke a law. You potentially broke the law. You've been arrested for it. Thank you. So go on home and come back. And come back. Yes. Okay. Now, um, I want to make sure we emphasize, and I loved your definition showing us the difference between prison and jail. And... um, you tie the difference to both the offense and longevity. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, the door to the local jail is probably a shorter time and a lesser offense. Or no, before court. Before court. And the after. I- even after you are convicted, the people that stay there will be for lower offenses. Okay. Correct. All right. I want to make sure we're on the same I think page. we are. All right. Now, for the exciting part. Take me through, help the listeners know, take us uh, through the process of uh, getting to OAR services. Okay. So let's take, we've been talking a lot about jail. Let's take Mm -hmm. one step back. Okay. Because one of the things that we believe at OAR is that incarceration is not appropriate for everyone. There may be times where incarceration is appropriate. Somebody Mm -hmm. may have done some terrible things and are not safe for them or others for them to be in the community. Okay. Thankfully, it's a very small percentage of the people that, that, that are around. Right. So some individuals, let's say it's a first-time nonviolent misdemeanor offender. Maybe it's a college student with a shoplifting charge. Okay. We're in the courtroom each morning, and we let the judge and the Commonwealth attorney know, here's a list of individuals, first-time nonviolent misdemeanors, that are eligible for an alternative sentencing. So rather than a conviction and possible incarceration, we'll do an alternative. Okay. The judge will assign a number of community service hours, an educational class or a program, 
We will coordinate and facilitate all of those things, check their record at the end of the time frame the judge has given, go back to court and say, this person has done everything you've asked, Your Honor. The judge will hit the gavel and say, case dismissed. And they won't have a record? And they won't have a record. They won't have a conviction. That's an important piece. Okay. They may still have the arrest show up, okay. uh, but they will not have a conviction, and that's where the magic really is. Gotcha. So it's important to think about that step first uh-huh. when we're talking about OAR services, that some individuals we try to divert out of the system altogether when it's appropriate for mm-hmm. them and the community. Mm-hmm. When somebody is incarcerated in one of our local jails, we do a variety of things inside those facilities to prepare individuals for their release. So a variety of classes, uh, life skills, anger management, money smart, uh, something called impact of crime we might get into if you're so inclined. Yes, I'm so inclined. Okay. (laughs) So a variety of of classes and programs. We Mm -hmm. have volunteers come in that provide mentorship. We have case managers that come in that do release preparation work, try to set up a plan for the first two weeks of their release so they know where they're going, what they're doing, where they're going to eat, all the very basic things so that they have an immediate plan. Then they can come to us after they've been released and work with the case managers, managers for up to 12 months after that. But while incarcerated, we're doing all of that, but I'm going to lump into release preparation services. Okay. So you're with them while they're incarcerated for a year or up to a up to a year. The up jail is a very transient place. So yes. sometimes people will come and go, they bond out, they do this, they might But have could a they still be associated with you? If Absolutely. That's what okay. Absolutely. So OAR is um, a companion program while someone is in mm-hmm. jail, maybe going through the process of court. Court. Yes could come in and out but still have you as a constant. Absolutely. Okay, now what I'm also thinking about is how much people tend, my study of the situation, tend to need structure more than ever. And that's what OAR is providing in terms of the plan. Correct. All right, now does the plan involve the uh, client in terms of how they say they want to do, or do you have a structure that says this is what you will do? So I'm going to say both. Okay. Without a doubt, as a client-centered plan. Okay. 99% of what we do is voluntary. Nobody, nobody's required, very few people are required to attend a class or OAR or see a case manager. They do so because they've reached an important point. They're sitting in jail, and they say, this needs to change. Okay. I can't keep doing this. Something has to be different and they reach out to us. So in that sense, we want to build a plan for that person with that person that moves them in the direction that they want to go. Not that we want to go, but in that they want to go. And sometimes we have to challenge if, if their plan makes sense, you know, and, mm-hmm. and highlight it. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes we're tweaking and moving and changing, and, and, but all of that is driven by the client. The other part of that is our piece. And this gets into the weeds a little bit, but it's important to understand. Mm-hmm. We do a risk assessment. Okay. There's something that the the research field has termed criminogenic risk assess risks. Criminogenic risks. Mm-hmm. That's interesting a, word. That's a fancy word for mm-hmm. the unique things about this population that mm-hmm. make them vulnerable to returning to criminal behavior. Right. Some of those things. Some of those things we can't change. So if someone has been arrested 82 times they're at much greater risk of returning than somebody that's been arrested once. Mm-hmm. I can't change those 82 times. It's already, it's already written. It's already done. Okay. 
But there are other things, like cognitions, the way they think, Mm -hmm. attitudes. What are attitudes towards authority? These are things that we can challenge and do something about and mold. And when we change thinking, we change behavior. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we do with a risk assessment for each client is determine what criminogenic risk factors are present for this person and which ones can we intervene in. And we have a series of classes and programs and things that relate specifically to specific risks. So if we do that, we'll say, I think this class would be valuable to you. Would you like to enroll in this? And maybe it's the fatherhood program because we see there are some issues with family and marital stressors in their lives. Mm -hmm. And the fatherhood program may be something that can help to address that. So yes, the client is guiding it. But based on that, those risk factors that we see, we are offering suggestions that we believe are valuable and would be beneficial to that individual. So what would be the skill set of the person at this juncture that is doing the risk assessment with the client? Uh, the is professional skill set? Yes, yes. Uh, typically a bachelor's degree. Uh, a, a lot of the case managers we have are social workers. Okay. Um, so we, we don't need master's level clinicians to do this work. You okay. do need some training. You need some training in, in the risk factors and how to measure them. And, but if, if you're a professional person, you can, you can pull that together. And then um, through in, within the case management piece, are there volunteers? Typically, case management is reserved for staff. Okay. Um, so a, a, a volunteer is paired up as a mentor. Okay. They do some similar things. It, it's not that different. And the mentor is typically aware of the case plan that's put together between the client and the case manager. So we're all working on the same I thing. I was wondering where the glue was. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. Now, what I'm also looking at is I hear you saying OAR positions the client as the centerpiece. Absolutely. And you may engage them in their dream, in their vision, then you challenge them if the risk factors have told you that's really not compatible with the person that they are. And you may redirect. Is that what happens? Yes. I'm going to challenge whether or not it's compatible with the, with the person they are. The, the, the person's going to make decisions for themselves. Okay. And, and we might easily look at, at somebody's case and say, just let's get a full-time job. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. But somebody may come to us and say, I know it makes sense for the rest of the world to have a full-time job, mm-hmm. but I really struggle with anxiety. I can't do more than about 20 hours a week. Okay. So now all of a sudden, we've got to keep that person at the center. And it, it's easy to say, yes, you should work full-time. But maybe this person has some obstacles to working full-time that you or I don't understand. That you know, We run forward and two jobs and i got to pay the bills, so let's do this. Mm-hmm. But for that person, it's too much. Mm-hmm. So that's why we've always got to keep that person at the center of it. Okay. Where it becomes a challenge is, I mentioned those criminogenic risk factors. Mm-hmm. One is antisocial cognitions. You just think poorly. But nobody comes in and says, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with my antisocial cognitions. Nobody does Generally. That. Yeah. Right, right. It's not typically the first thing people share. Mm-hmm. So that's why we know we've, we need to put some services in place that begin to challenge that. And sometimes it's nothing more than case management. And it's the way we have a conversation with people. And we highlight things that they say. Say, you know, you said this. Is that really what you meant? And that can be a way of challenging some of those thoughts and beliefs that they have. Okay. Now, I'm going to challenge you. Great. Okay. Uh, I am unable to bond out. Okay. I am in jail. Uh, I have potentially 
committed a misdemeanor. Okay. Um, it's just been a bad season. I've been depressed. I was stupid. I made a mistake. I don't have a long criminal history. Okay. And this is our first meeting, uh, first time I have touched the OAR program. Okay. How would we begin? So first, I just want to say you are an unusual person, this person you've just described. <laughs> I uh, am? But it happens. There are individuals for whom there is no history of criminality. They wind up in the local jail, and they are struggling. This person really struggles. Jail is hard. Yes. Hard. I happen to know someone like this. That's okay. why I, I, I chose that. Okay. Especially the first time. Uh-huh. When you've got to pick up the phone and call your husband, your wife, your yes, mom, yes, your dad, yes. and say, I'm in jail. Yes. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. You feel like the world is over. I'm never going to work again. I'm going to lose my job. Yes. All, all of the, the world crashes down yes. on that person. If you've been arrested 27 times. It's a different story. The 28th time is not that big a deal. Hey, mom, will you put some money in my commissary? Yeah. Click. Done. So that person you described is really vulnerable and needs some support. A mentor would be great for that person just to keep them focused on something positive, how to move forward, what they're thinking, where they're going, what they're doing, what they're going to do, and keep them focused on positive things. The classes and programs that we offer would still be valuable. Um, if you made that one mistake, there might be other elements and things in your life that are struggling. What, what led that? Mm-hmm. What led mm-hmm. to that decision? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you mentioned in that scenario feeling really low, feeling really depressed. So. OAR does not offer professional mental health services. That's where I was going okay. because my scenario, based on a reality, okay. uh, that particular person did have a mental health issue okay. that was uh, a trigger to the behavior. Right. Uh, so then, if you have a feeling that that's the case, what do you do? So we are extremely lucky in this area to have great resources in our local jails. Many jails are just holding facilities around the country in small uh-huh. rural areas. It's just a holding facility. That's all it is. Okay. We have great resources here. So there are substance abuse services. There are mental health services. There are religious within services. Within the jail? Within the jail. Oh, yes. wow. All of these things exist in our local jails here. So if by chance that person opens up to us mm-hmm. and mental health services has not seen them, doesn't know anything, hasn't screened them or assessed them, mm-hmm. we will make that referral to them so that somebody will see them. Uh, if, if we believe there's a mental health component to this, we will make sure that the right people are there to support that person. It's not our specific expertise, right, right, right. just like substance abuse. But what our case managers can do is be the hub mm-hmm. and kind of orient those things. So if you know, maybe they're engaged with mental health services and then they come to us, or maybe it's this. And th- but ultimately, if we are building a case plan for them and they've got substance abuse issues and mental health issues, we're going to be asking questions. Did you talk to your therapist? Have you seen the doctor? Mm-hmm. Are you going to AA? So that that becomes a part of the service plan, and it's not the OAR plan. It is the person's plan for what their needs are. So they could have a cafeteria of services, some from OAR? Yes. Some from mental health? Yes. Okay. And it is possible you wind up in your local jail, and you say, nah, I want to play cards. And yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't yeah. take advantage of any of those services. I got that. Because, yeah. you know, they'll be back. They'll be, unfortunately, they'll be back. Yeah. And we have this conversation so many times when, when people say, believe in second chances. We say yes. And third, and fourth, and uh-huh, fifth. Because uh-huh. when is the right time? And the right time is when that person is ready. That's true. 
And that until we get to that, no matter what we do, what we do is of no value. That person has to be ready. Yeah, and and through your experience, your 20 years, do you find that the person that presents and becomes a part of your program has a family structure that's supportive outside of that experience or no? It varies. Okay. So I, I'm going to start with a no. Okay. Uh, because when you described the, the person a moment ago, the hypothetical first time, never did anything wrong, sitting in jail, that's a little bit rare. And that person has family support. That person's family is wondering what happened and what's going on and how is this the case. Mm-hmm. Many individuals that we work with have burned some bridges. Okay. And family's very close. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of emotion, other things tied into that. And a lot of times family's at the point where they say, we love you. We want the best for you. From afar. You let me know when you got your life together. Mm-hmm. And, and family can't do anymore. They've, they've done all they can. Mm-hmm. So in, in some cases, they don't have family. It's, we will have individuals, just a, just a quick story, when, when you're arrested, mm-hmm. all of your possessions are held yes. by the sheriff's office. Right, right. Um, they're not sent to the dry cleaners or whatever. They're just, just held in a, you know. In a, in a bag. In a bag. That's <laughs> it. And when you're released, you get you that get stuff your bag. back. <laughs> and for most people, the night of your arrest is usually not a good night. You're not clean and three yeah, piece yeah, suit. Yeah, right? yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, so you get stuff back that's and pretty it, yucky. Yeah. We have individuals walk to our office with that bag. And look at us and say, what do I do now? Where do I go? I believe that. Yeah. I believe that because I believe the uh, outcome called jail or prison is the person that didn't get an answer when they said, where do I go now? Yeah. And whether they were asking the wrong people, whether there was no one to ask, but to me it's always, I don't have an answer. Right. And And that answer... It's the, the question mm-hmm. is not asked once. Yeah. It's asked over yes. and over and over yes. again. And I think of criminality like a staircase. Mm-hmm. And let's imagine we have somebody in our local jail for armed robbery. Mm-hmm. Terrible felony. Mm-hmm. Uh, horrific decision and choices made. Nobody wakes up one morning having never had any criminal behavior and says, you know what, I'm going to commit an armed robbery today. Nobody does that. It starts a step at a time. Yes. And yes. maybe the first step is... I'm going to use some illegal substances. Mm-hmm. And they're probably asking that question to family. What do I do now? I'm struggling. I'm sad. I'm this and that. What do, what do I do? They don't get that answer, so they start to use. Mm-hmm. I'm oversimplifying this a little yeah. bit. But, but then maybe now they start using a lot. And now they don't have enough resources to support it. So they use somebody's credit card. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, the credit cards aren't available all the time. So they take somebody's purse from the grocery cart. Mm-hmm. Now those aren't available all the time. And they think, you know, if, if I got a firearm, yeah. Somebody would give me their stuff. Yeah. Right? And then I can get that money I need. Now all of a sudden, we just went up five, six, seven steps from this person who was using or whatever. Right. And not everybody does all of these steps. But at each step along that journey, they're probably asking the people around them, what do I do? Yeah. Where do I go? And when they don't get that answer, they have a tendency to climb that staircase. And they wind up in the jail. And they say, this isn't me. This isn't who I am. What am I doing? How did I do this? I, gotta ch- I can't keep doing this stuff. So... The reason why I said that the person you described is unusual is more often than not, the thing that we are incarcerated for mm-hmm. is just a fraction of the behavior that we've been engaged in. That's what in. I always think. It's, it is a symptom. Yeah. And, and getting to uh, the problem is a process. Yeah. And um, a lot of times that process is long, which requires commitment. 
So where are you going to find that commitment? Okay, if you got some money, maybe you can pay a doctor or uh, a psychologist, uh, social worker type. Right. Um, Once that problem lands in your lap and you're sitting in your local jail wondering what the heck happened, yep. it is a process to straighten it out. Mm-hmm. It does, it's not easy. It's not overnight. It's not one decision. Uh, it is filled with starts and stops and turns and twists and unexpected things to begin to put your life back together. So does OAR uh, lead with, uh, you know, we're perfectly imperfect and this is going to change an hour from now? We're, we're starting a relationship. We're starting a relationship. And it's going to take some time. Absolutely. And uh, so let, let's talk about this. Well, I got a lot of questions, but let's talk about right. this. Um, what's the success rate? There you are. Oh, how much time do we have left? Because you've asked a complicated question. Well, let's get into it. Okay. I mean, let's, yeah. So let's start with the most complicated piece. We can get that out of the way. Okay. More often than not, when people want to know success and whether or not we're successful, they ask about a magic word called recidivism. Oh, yeah, that. So let's define it first. Okay. I'd just like to start with you. Can you define recidivism? Uh, I think it's when you keep going back. Okay. Doing the same thing. Same. All right. So a couple things there. Let's start with keep going back. Okay. In what time frame? Ah. So what if you go back in 10 years? Have you recidivated? Well, in my mind, you have, you but have. maybe not in the... Uh, but what if you've gone to jail three times a year for five years, and then we implement some, some, some actions, uh-huh. and you don't go back for 10 years? That's progress worth noting, Right. That's progress. That's worth progress worth noting. Yeah. So the time frame is important. To say somebody's been out of incarceration for three months may not matter very much. You know, that's uh, that's new. I, I've heard recidivism. I okay. kept seeing it as a revolving door. Yes. I had never placed the time frame. So the time frame's important, and everybody defines it differently. Okay. Then you said something else. You said it's going back for the same thing. What if you go back for something else? Ah, time frame and reason reason so let me get this you i assume could go home tonight and if you so chose have a glass of wine with your dinner right possibly you might not be able to if you're on probation true so let's imagine for a moment that you have uh, violent assault charges on your record okay but you don't report to probation on time you don't give them your work address you pee in the cup when your color code comes up that it's your turn to do so, and it shows you've used some substances you're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. You haven't created any additional violent offenses, but you have violated some status offenses, and you go back. Have you recidivated? Hmm. So the you know what I'm responding important. to right yeah. now is uh, behavioral change. Yes. And uh, what I'm thinking about is I can change part of me and not another part of me. Right. And and look like I'm managing my life better. And to be really successful, you may need to change a lot of those parts. Exactly, right? exactly. Otherwise, you may wind up popping back in for different exactly. reasons and everything else. It's, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And that's what I'm thinking. Well, I was thinking about opioids. You know, like you think mm. you're okay. Yeah. You go through a program, and you get in a situation. Well, you know, I can kick this. Boom. Right. There right. you are. So when we're looking at success and we're looking at recidivism, it is tricky because everybody defines it differently. And the other challenge well, for us... what about the law? What does the law say? Because... I, 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 which law? Oh are Lord. we talking okay. the local sheriff? Are we talking the okay. Commonwealth of Virginia? Are we talking federal? 
So everybody defines that differently. Virginia, for example, uh, shares a, a, a very wonderful recidivism rate, but they don't typically count people that return to prison in a different state. So okay, the, so I'm getting this is this is good. This okay. is really good. This is a mess, is what this is. Yes, yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to use the word mess. <laughs> it is a bit of a mess. <laughs> it's a bit of a mess. So. Okay, so we have this one word, and what we don't have is common language. It's a clear definition for it. Yes. Right. And and the elements, time frame, which can be different, reason, which can be different, right. laws, which can be different, location, locate. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So. Okay. I wish I could tell you, and we're going to add population to your list as well, because different people recidivated in different ways. Yes. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> okay. Because we are a community nonprofit and not a law enforcement organization, okay. we don't typically have access to criminal records. So it makes finding recidivism numbers very difficult. That is very stringently held by law enforcement. So there are times... Like when we partner with the court, they'll allow us to do a record check to make sure the person doing community service hasn't picked up additional charges. But we can't go into the court off, courthouse and just say, just for fun, we want to know how Jimmy's doing. We want to pull his record check. They're not going to let that happen. Okay, okay, okay. But then your program is at risk without that information, isn't it? So there's other ways to measure success. Okay, okay. So the, the, the reason why I bring that up is people, that's their first question. What's your recidivism rate? Okay. And it, it's an impossible question to answer okay. for all the reasons we just described. But there are other things that we can answer. We have special permission to run background checks for individuals in our batter intervention program. These are people with domestic assault charges. They participate in our program for 18 weeks. Mm -hmm. Once they complete, we start a clock, and 12 months later, we do a record check for them. And for years, none of the individuals who participated in our violence intervention program had additional violent charges one year post-completion um, post of services. So we do see some great success when we can measure it. Other examples, we have a special program for serious and violent offenders. Mm -hmm. This program is in partnership with the Office of Probation and Parole, and they have access to criminal records. Because it's a partnership, we can see the data there. So these are serious and violent offenders. These are the people that we hear about on the news that we're afraid of. And do they come to your program? They do indeed. So they may be in our local jail before being convicted and sent to a state facility somewhere. Okay. Anybody returning from incarceration to our community mm -hmm. is eligible for our programs. And so services. I've been to the state. I'm released from state. I can call OAR. Exactly. Okay. Now, the other thing I want to back up just for a second because this is, this is just good stuff. Okay. All right. So I always believe you get what you measure. Okay. And what's behind all of this, if we can't measure it, right. it makes it difficult for us to hone in on what we need to do to correct something, right? Right. So this whole thing is a mystery? Not quite. Okay, help me. So earlier we talked about those uh, criminogenic risk assessments. Oh, yes. Remember yes. those? Right? Yes. Everybody loves those. One of the things that research shows us mm -hmm. is that we can have a measurable impact on those criminogenic risk factors. And when we change them, it changes behavior. So one of the things that we can do is do an assessment when we first meet somebody mm -hmm. and 12 months later do another one. And we can measure changes in those criminogenic risk factors. And when they go down, we can reasonably say this person is much less likely to continue, con continue uh, criminal activity. 
So that's a thing that we have control over that we can measure within a 12-month period, which is our service time. Okay. Uh, that we don't need any special permission or data for or anything else. So when somebody comes to us and says, what's your recidivism rate? And I can't really answer that. And I can say, but we've changed their antisocial cognition. If you don't really understand the weeds of it, that may not be valuable. But once you know it and you realize how powerful somebody's thoughts are in terms of how mm. they act, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we can measure changes in their thinking, mm-hmm. we know that changes their behavior. So if we could have access to that record check, mm-hmm. we would probably see years later that there would be a significant difference for that person in terms of their criminal behavior. And then as I'm listening, I'm thinking of the issues we have now about privacy. Yes. And not having privacy. Right. And protection. And uh, it's sort of like the Internet. They thought it was a great thing before they had standards. And now it's a runaway train. Yeah. How do you manage that? Um, Wow. So... You've got an initial and a 12-month measurement point. Correct. That allows you to say the program's input. This is the other thing I learned. You can count, you can measure what happens. Like, we can talk about how this conversation went, you and I. Right. And, but, say we're in a therapeutic situation, once you left here, so many other variables are right. going to impact you. Yes. I couldn't say. Positive and negative. Exactly. Yeah. So I couldn't say that what happened here right. was the reason. So if anybody out there is listening and wants to fund a multi-year longitudinal research study <laughs> where we have a control group of people that receive regular services, another group that gets specific services, and we can measure both of those groups and follow right, them for five right, right. years and see what happens, then I can give you a wonderful number. That's yeah. really expensive, really time-consuming, oh, and, and requires some research expertise. We have done some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have partnered with George Mason University uh, on a couple of different studies where they've looked at some of our programs and given us some great feedback. And we are actively working on another grant right now for that exact same purpose that we hope will give us a five-year uh, study that allows us to do some of the things we're talking about. But these, these things are complicated. You know, it's funny because one of the questions I was going to ask you, which you already answered, was if you had a blank check, what would you do? Well, that might be one of them right there. Okay, what's another? Can we talk about housing for a moment? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> there is none. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the end of the discussion. No, affordable <laughs> housing is just a term that's, what is that? Right. Yeah. And even shelters. Uh, mm-hmm. our, our weather is warming up. Uh, when it's cold outside, mm-hmm. if you show up at a shelter, uh, they will take you in. When it's above freezing mm-hmm. and they're full, they say, sorry, we're full. So if, if you're that person that comes out of jail to our office with your bag of possessions saying, what do I do now? Uh, if the shelters are full, we don't have a whole lot of options. We and may be, even if they are not full, that's temporary. And that's temporary. It can be enough for somebody that's motivated, serious, ready to work hard, a shelter can be a wonderful starting point for someone. Mm-hmm. But when that's not available, we have to explore some uglier options. You know, can, can you sleep on your buddy's couch tonight? Yeah, couching is a big thing now. Yeah, but what if your buddy's still actively using and you're trying to stay sober? Yeah. Is that the place you want to be? No. Right? Is it possible those influences we've talked about start yes. creeping back in? And you're determined to do the right thing and but you're struggling. Yeah. And your buddy says, come on. Just What's like old yeah, times, just yeah. one time. Yeah, take a hit. Yeah. Right. yeah. So it, it, those, 
those are challenges. That's, that's mm. one of those criminogenic risk factors, our associates. Can we change the associates that we're around? Sometimes that's friends. Sometimes it's family that's a bad influence. I know. I know. You know not, we'd love I to know. think of uh, leave it to Beaver, but uh, families aren't <laughs> always you know, the, the best. Uh, and Beaver had some struggles, too. He did, too. Yes. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he really did. Hmm. Well, now, I want to ask, uh, ask about gender. Okay. Talk to me about the profile of the people that come through your program, male, female, age. What, what's that look like? So majority are male. Uh, I would say 70% male, 30% uh, 30% female. Okay. And that's probably reflected in the jail population as well, about that, about okay. those numbers. It might be a little bit more skewed inside the jails, higher towards men. Yeah. Um, but just my own personal thought or idea, no research behind this. I think women have more options, at least initially. Um, if they you know what I think they have? What's that? It's more creativity. They may have that too. I have creativity and options give you some I'm landing places. Serious, yes. You know, give give somebody a nickel, and they can do at least ten dollars worth of stuff. No, right? <laughs> yeah. So, w- whatever we want to classify it that, that <laughs> women have, we seem, got it. They seem to have something that gives them some options. Yeah. And and when a when a woman winds up winds up seeking assistance from us, they're struggling, and and they've lost lots of opportunities and burned lots of bridges. I hear you. So. Uh, more often than not, it's it's younger men. Younger men. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I spend a lot of time mentoring young women. Okay. And interestingly enough, if we think of a scale, they may be at the lower end of risk, uh, not feeling a lot of worthiness. Yeah. And as that grows and grows, uh, they take risks that are around. You just hit something really important, not feeling self-worth. Yes. If you don't care about yourself, why would you care about anybody else? Exactly. So you can make choices that hurt others because you don't even care about yourself. I know. So, I yeah, know. It's, 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 not, it's one of the things we do as well is value individuals for who they are. Yes. And you've made a mistake, but you can move forward. You have the ability and capacity to do something more. And sharing that message with people is important. Well, um, sharing a message is what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay. I also ask my uh, guests to write a letter to younger self, older self, uh, an inmate. <laughs> I don't know. Which one? You chose younger self? I chose my younger self. All right. This was very difficult. Good. All right, Brandon. You're right. Go. Okay. Dear young Brandon. I know you better than anyone else, yet as I look back, it seems we are very different people. Our daily activities and our thoughts are different. Our dreams and views of the future have changed, but as I look closer, I realize at our core, we are still the same. You have the same values and core principles. We have the same values and core principles that guide our lives. I'm certain if we could truly sit and talk to one another, you would likely roll your eyes and think, what does this old man know? (laughs) However, with the benefit of hindsight, I'd like to offer you a few thoughts. One, don't ever settle being the best player on the JV team. You have the ability to accomplish more than you'll ever realize. Challenge yourself 
more often than not, you will succeed. And when you don't, it will still offer valuable lessons. Two, you're a natural leader. In the absence of genuine leadership, you will always be the one to step forward. Don't wait for those opportunities. Seek them out. You will face challenges and struggles that you cannot imagine and that you'll never see coming. In the middle of those struggles, you may not see a way through, but life has a way of working out. It may not be what you expect or what you want. Stay true to yourself. Never doubt your capacity to love, and you'll make it through. Trust your gut. There will be times when you act against what your gut instinct tells you to do. I think you'll find in those moments you wish you would have followed your gut a little more. <laughs> While we're on that subject, you may find your gut to grow a little bit bigger in the future. Perhaps that's just one more reminder to follow it. Don't be afraid to push your personal boundaries. Push them often and around all types of issues. Right now, you may think it's impossible, but you will run at least four marathons. You will need to push hard to accomplish this, but push in other areas too. Explore music, clothing, foods, trips, relationships that are outside your comfort zone. The experiences will enrich your life in ways you can't imagine. Finally, and uh, maybe most important of all, there's a piece of you that will always feel 12 years old. Embrace that piece. Don't hide it. It makes you who you are. You have much ahead of you. Enjoy the ride, your older self. Oh, Brandon, that's so special, so real, so authentic, so vulnerable. You heard the voice of Mr. Brandon Cosby, Director of Development, OAR, breaking the cycle of crime and opportunity with crime, excuse me, cycle of crime with opportunities, alternatives, and resources. You know, as I listen to our conversation, I want to remind our audience, don't ever be ashamed of the scars life has left you with. The scar means the hurt is over and the wound is closed. It means you conquered the pain, you learned a lesson, you grew stronger and you moved forward. A seed, excuse me, a, a scar is a tattoo of triumph to be proud of. Don't allow your scars to hold you hostage. Out of suffering you've emerged, the strongest of souls, the most powerful of characters in this great world. Mm, yes, you made it. Every little struggle is a step forward. Brandon, if they want to know more about OAR, I think we just didn't even scratch the tip of the iceberg. We were just getting started. Just getting started, which means you have to come back. Okay. Um, how can they do that? Easiest thing is our website, oarnova.org, oarnova.org. All right. Well, you've been listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Fios, 
locally, nationally, and internationally via www.radiofairfax.org. I want to add my own encouragement to that which you've heard earlier. When you're in doubt, check your label. You are not a markdown. Each one of us is a designer's original. God has set your value. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Surround yourself with people who can remind you of who you were created to be. You were chosen. You're not alone. You are worthy. You are important. You are not your circumstances. You have everything inside of you you need to be the person you were created to be. Hey, listen, if you're in doubt, I'm here, and I hear you. And to you, my audience, I want to say your seat at the table is guaranteed. All you have to do is tune in. I'm here waiting. Until that time, this is Tyra G., Frankly Speaking.